You're listening to the British GT Fan Show. This show is for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, redistributed or used in any other form without permission. For more information about this, please visit our website www.bgtfshow.co.uk or contact us via our social media at bgtfshow. Hello and welcome to the British GT Fan Show. Coming up in this episode, with a roundup of the latest news, we chat about the Rolex 24 Hours and Asian Le Mans series. We also throw some ideas about how the grid for the upcoming British GT Championship season may look. And we discuss the latest DLC content added to Assetto Corsa Competizione in the form of the British GT pack. British GT Fan Show is hosted by Sarah Smith, alongside resident British GT expert Nicholas Smith. So let's start off. We've got quite a lot of news to cover in this episode. Uh, So let's kick straight off with the news that the governing body of UK motor racing, Motorsport UK, has announced that the sport will resume from the 29th of March this year. This follows off the back of Prime Minister Boris Johnson's statement about the relaxation of the third national lockdown, which has been in effect since the 5th of January, but feels like it's been in effect for about 55 years. Testify. Now, given the provisional timescales that have been laid out, fan attendance is unlikely to be allowed at events before April and is instead likely to begin following the stage three relaxation, which is due to take place in May. In either case, assuming that these timescales are met, around 1,000 spectators will be able to attend the opening round of the championship at Brands Hatch in late May, whilst all restrictions should have been lifted in time for the Silverstone 500 in late June. Motorsport UK have also clarified to the show that all drivers in the championship are permitted to travel during lockdown to racetracks for the purposes of testing. Their possession of minimum grade licences for British GT, which is an international C licence, means that they're classified as elite sportspersons. And similarly, team members who are necessary for the running of the cars, so everyone from mechanics down to physios, are classified as elite ancillary sportspersons. So testing can take place even during lockdown. Meanwhile, Rick Parfit Jr., the only man to claim both British GT4 and GT3 championship titles, has announced a return to racing for 2021. The rocker-turned-racer, who featured as a guest on the British GT Fan Show in 2020, has agreed a deal which will see him contest a full season in the top flight of British motor racing. Bad news? It's in the British Touring Car Championship. Rick Parfit has traded in his Bentley for Hyundai, joining Accelerate Motorsport for a full season in the 2021 Quick Fit British Touring Car Championship at the wheel of a Hyundai i30N Fastback. He joins established BTCC teammates Tom Ingram, Chris Smiley and former British GT and British F3 racer Jack Boutel in a four-car squad gunning for the overall title and also for the Jack Sears Trophy, the award that's given to a British Touring Car Championship driver without a class podium to their name. And it's named in honour of the late Jack Sears, the first ever British saloon car champion. Bringing it back to the British GT Championship proper now, 
2020 Pro-Am champions Ian Loggy and Yelma Berman have confirmed that they're to defend their title in 2021 with Ram Racing. The duo claimed the title at the Silverstone 500 season finale last year, outscoring class rivals Phil Keane and Adam Ballon to secure victory. Now, with silver-silver driver pairings banned in the GT3 class for 2021 in favour of the new Silver Am class, Berman and Loggy now have to be considered hot favourites for a chance at the overall crown this year. The car is also getting a makeover between seasons, retaining the racing number six, but changing colour from green to an almost highlighter pink. The sponsors on the car are also new, with Loggy promoting his chosen charity Cure Leukemia and the charity's Tour 21 fundraising event, which Loggy himself is taking part in. Now, this event will run a week ahead of the Tour de France, completing the full 21-stage course, and they're aiming to raise £1 million for Cure Leukemia. Mercedes-AMG uh, to return to the GT4 class for a full season after BTCC frontrunner Sicily Motorsport announced a campaign with the Mercedes-AMG GT4 in the Pro-Am class. The drive lineup for a single car entry features Dave Whitmore, who made his class debut in Alton Park in 2020, at the wheel of a Century Motorsport run team to G or BMW M4 GT4. Whitmore is joined by the 2014 British GT4 champion Jake Giddings. The Mercedes-Benz trucks dealer and race team Sicily Motorsport originally campaigned their Mercedes-AMG for a single round in the 2018 British GT Championship. They've run internationally since. The crew, who have also run Mercedes A-Class BTCC cars, are mounting their first full-season effort in the British GT Championship. The decision also means a return for the full season for Mercedes-AMG GT4 to the lower class of the championship for the first time since Team Parker Racing and Fox Motorsport withdrew from the class at the end of 2019. And on the subject of Team Parker Racing, they and 2018 GT4 Pro-Am champion drivers Nick Jones and Scott Malvin are set to return to the GT3 class for 2021. As previously reported, Team Parker Racing have taken the decision to end their relationship with Bentley after the mark withdrew from Factory Motorsport at the end of the 2020 season. In our last show, Nick speculated on which cars the Team Parker Racing crew would choose for a 2021 campaign. Now, in a true shock, Nick was right. Yeah, I nearly passed out as well. He posited that the team's involvement with the Porsche Carrera Cup GB and Nick Jones and Scott Malvin's campaign with TPR in the Porsche Cayman GT4 Club Sport in 2017 might mean a return to Stuttgart for the outfit's procurement team. The news broke on the 19th of February that the team had indeed opted for a Porsche 911 as the basis for their 2021 campaign. A brand new Porsche 911 991.2 GT3R was unveiled in the pairing's now familiar blue, black and grey SD sealants livery, with Jones and Malvin confirmed as entering their sixth full season with the team. The decision also makes the Jones, Malvin and Parker team up the longest continuously running consistent team amateur and professional tie-up in series history. That claim, I've gone as far back through the history books as I can to confirm it. And I have not found another lineup where team, dry, uh, amateur, and professional driver have been consistent for as long, where the team wasn't owned by the amateur. So, last episode, we had a bit of a chat about the upcoming Rolex 24 hour race uh, that has now happened, taken place, done and dusted. Um, so, 
we'll have a chat about how our fellow British GT alumni got on with the race. If that's all right with you, Nick. That's what I love talking about endurance racing. (laughs) So let's start out then uh, with the DPI class. Um, So from this class, we had the Mazda Motorsports Mazda RT24P. Uh, with Jonathan Bummerito, Harry Tinknell, and Oliver Jarvis as our favourite in class, uh, with Tinks and Oliver Jarvis both being Brits, and the car also being engineered by Multimatic, who of course ran the 61 uh, Mustang helping Academy out last year and rang Mustangs themselves in the 2019 season. So let's talk about their race. All right, well... They showed pace in qualifying. They showed pace throughout the Raw before the 24. But when it came to actual trying to start the 24-hour race, it all went a bit peak, to be honest. Um, the gearbox sort of fell into a safe mode, and they couldn't couldn't select first gear. So they ended up right at the back of the field for the start of the race um, with, 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 with these issues. Now, they lost the, the lead lap fairly early on and then regained it. Uh, five hours in, they had an issue with the the rear component of the car. With these prototype cars, basically, you've, you've got four screws that screw into the gearbox. And that holds on the rear wheel arches. It holds on the rear wing. It holds on all the lights and the legality panels and etc. They had a problem in there somewhere and had to change the rear, the rear component. Um, unfortunately, they managed to break one of the pins that holds it on. Uh, so it took three laps to get that that resolved. Now, given that you're looking at a what one minute forty ish, one minute one one minute forty, one minute fifty lap, losing only three laps to deal with a problem like that is fairly impressive. Uh, now they they fought their way they their way back through the night and and come the daytime with about five hours left to go in the race, they finally regained the lead lap the race so they're back on terms with the rest of the class and they had a decent scrap up through the field to the point where they were they were actually running second at one point um but then they had a rear rear wing failure which slowed them down and they lost second place they eventually finished third so not a bad effort the other thing to add here um about the mazda effort is unfortunately mazda motorsports have announced that they are going to withdraw from prototype racing at the end of the year so what we are now seeing is a farewell tour for the mazda motorsports mazda rt24p arguably the best looking of the current generation dpi cars so let's move on to the lmp2 class uh starting off we've got the number 11 win autosport orica 07 gibson yeah uh, driver lineup of Tristan Nunez, Thomas Merrill, and Steve Thomas, and then British GT's own Matt Bell. Um, they actually had a pretty pretty good start. Uh, the first 173 laps were led by Win Autosport. Unfortunately, they had a brake issue um, after that, and then they had a coming together with a GT car, put them on the back foot. But again, repairs were repairs were made. Car was sent back out. And they finished fifth in the LMP2 class. So not not a bad effort. So I believe we've got three cars to talk about in this class. The second of which is the 51 RWR Eurasia Orica 07 Gibson. Yep. Um, 
Austin Dillon, Cody Ware, and Matthew Jaminet, or Jam Jam, as he's uh, referred to, joined by Sally Yuluk. He's a British GT link here. The car, obviously, they they moved over to America for for a campaign in the Michelin Endurance Challenge, um, Endurance Cup. I forget the name of the. Basically, it's a championship within a championship. The the four longer races are a championship in their own right. Uh, they're being run in conjunction with Wick Rare Racing, which is quite a quite quite a prominent team over in the states. Now, Sally had a bit of a spin early on, but he managed to keep his place and, and sort of hold and hold his gains. Um, and the car ran as high as fifth overall at one point, uh, but then dropped back with a cover engine cover problem. They had to change out the part. And they had to put, put an old part on. It was actually a, an engine cover that last raced at Le Mans last year. Uh, late in the game, they suffered a power steering failure, uh, and that put them even further back. They finished 10th overall and 4th in the LMP2 class. Now, the last car that we mentioned in the last episode isn't actually a British GT-related car, but it's one that people might have wanted to keep an eye on. And that was high class racing. And it was a car with uh with Robert Kubitz of Formula One driver in it. Didn't go particularly well. Uh 56 laps into the race, they retired. And I can't remember off the top of my head why, and I can't see on the internet a reason why. But the car was out. It was a second car to retire. Moving on to the GTLM class, and I do like the first bit of your note here, it says winner, winner, chicken dinner, which suggests that we had some good news out of this. Uh, so the first car to talk about in this class that we picked out last time is the number three Corvette Racing Corvette C8R GTLM. Yeah, uh, I mean, first of all, I'm going to make the confession here that people will have seen on, on social media and I am going to get down upon my knees and pray in the direction of SRO Motorsports in London because I am not worthy. Mr. Hornsby, you are the king, undisputed champion of all British GT trivia because I hadn't spotted this car had a British GT connection. But Nicky Katzberg, who was driving in the car, has raced in British GT. In 2011, he raced for JRM, uh, in a Nissan GTR development car uh, in the Invitational class at Duncan Park. So, extreme geekery. We love you, Mr. Hornsby. And I apologise to Nicky Katzberg for missing him out last episode. Now, when Tom highlighted this to me, I was like, great, we've actually got a proper bona fide Rolex in the British GT paddock. Because all the class winners at the Rolex 24 hours get a Rolex Daytona Cosmograph watch it's the only way you can get one you can't buy one unless they're being sold secondhand um so um that, that, that's quite a trophy to have um they had an absolutely stonking race and i'm gonna combine this with the corvette that we actually did talk about last episode uh nikki katzberg was racing with antonio garcia and jordan taylor um the sister car the number four car was tommy milner nick tandy and alexander sims the latter two have both raced in the past in British GT. And between them and one of the Ferraris, it was an absolute ding-dong battle throughout the entire race. Now, the two Corvettes between them led 716 of the 770 laps completed. 
but that stat by itself doesn't tell the story because it was a it was a, a running gun battle for 24 hours between two Corvettes and a Ferrari. Um, there were some BMWs thrown in there as well. Um, the other things to say here with the winning car, Antonio Garcia uh, obviously did a proper job of work in the first half of the race, but took no part in the second part of the race. Um, he, in preparation for leaving the United States, he, he took a COVID test and that COVID test actually registered a false positive. So he was tested positive for COVID-19 during the race and was withdrawn from the race as a result, which means that Jordan Taylor and Nicky Katzberg had to complete the driving by themselves. Jordan Taylor, of course, being in that car, won his class. So he won GTLM. The overall winner of the race was Wayne Taylor Racing's Acura DPI, the, um, the car run by Wayne Taylor. Uh, which is Jordan's father, and driven by Ricky Taylor, which is Jordan's brother. So both Ricky and Jordan won a Rolex 25 years after Dad's first victory at the Rolex 24 at Daytona. Now that's that's pretty special. And one can assume then that the number four finished second? The number four did finish second. It was, I mean... Basically, they, they got a bungee cord and attached one to the other for the entire race. It was, I mean, there, obviously there was a lot of attention paid to the DPI class by the TV pictures because that was the top class. But the entertainment throughout was two Corvettes and a Ferrari and a BMW occasionally just going at it. And we are talking... I mean, that's four cars there. So we are talking 12 of the best drivers in the world. Now, a lot of these drivers that we're talking about have raced pretty much solely in, in America for, for a long, long time. But make no mistake, these are world-class drivers. You could put them in any GT car, in any championship in the world, and they would be running at the front straight away. And I say it was... It was a 24-hour 24 24-hour 24 war zone. But the respect paid, there, aside from one very, very silly incident right at the start of the race, where Bruno Spengler in a BMW arse-ended the only Porsche in the class, caused quite a bit of damage to the Porsche. Aside from that, there was very little in the way of contact. Robin was not racing in, the, in, in GTLM. It was professional. They gave themselves space, but they went at it and it was thrilling from green to checker Hmm. so let's move from gtlm across to gtd of course gt daytona we had 19 cars entered in there and we had a couple that we had said to look out for we got two favorites and two backups so let's have a look at the favorites first of all uh, we'll start with the number 23 Heart of Racing team who were in an Aston Martin V8 Vantage AMR GT3. Yeah, the Heart of Racing team. Uh, the the British GT connections here uh, were Darren Turner and Ross Gunn, who need no introduction to our audience. Uh, joined by Romus, the, Ro, Romus, shall I try Roman DeAngelis De and Ian James, who I said last time. I mean, he was entered as, a, as an amateur driver but he's been factory driver for uh, Cadillac. He's been a factory driver for Painos in the States as well. 
Um, he's one of the driving forces behind the heart of racing team as well. This is a very professional driver and he may be American, but he's British as well. He was born over here. Um, they finished fifth in class. It was, you had the same problem with GTD to a certain extent as you had with LMP2 and LMP3 in the, the top class overall um, DPI and the top class in GT, GT Le Mans, was so entertaining and there was always something happening. There wasn't a lot of time to spare for them on on the broadcast. Um, so we didn't really see a whole lot of these cars, but it was a it was a reasonable run for these guys. Um, and I say finishing fifth in class in a 19 car class is more than respectable. Now, our other favourite for this uh, class was the number 97 TF Sport Aston Martin V8 Vantage AMR GT3 uh, with the GT links of Charlie Eastwood and Richard Westbrook. Charlie Eastwood and Richard Westbrook of obviously British GT fame. Uh, Charlie Eastwood needed no introduction and as we explained last last time out, Richard Westbrook shared with Gregor Fiskin back in 2013 in a Porsche. Max Root and Ben Keating also shared the driving. And again, we don't know a massive amount about what happened because they weren't running at the front of their class and they were in the lowest class in the race, so attention was diverted. But they ran to seventh in class, which is uh, which is pretty respectable. Now, our two backup cars uh, were the number 28 Allegra Motorsports Mercedes AMG GG3 and the 111 Grasser GRT Lamborghini Huracan GT3 Evo. Let's have a quick catch-up on them. Yeah, the, the 28 Allegra Motorsports um, became our backup on on account of having Maximilian Buch of ERC Sport GT4 fame in British GT and Billy Johnson of Multimatic Motorsports GT4 fame in British GT. Daniel Morad and Michael Casada were the other two drivers in the car. They ran to ninth, again, overshadowed by the battle at the front and even more overshadowed here in that the two cars that were hammering it out at the front of the class for the win were both Mercedes. So um, obviously all the Mercedes attention was focused on the two cars that stood a chance of winning the class. But ninth place, they they beat more than half of the entries in their field. And you, you don't turn your nose up at that. The final backup that we had was the number 111 Grasser GRT Lamborghini Huracan GT3 Evo. Now, I picked the better of the two here because there are actually two Grasser cars entered. The number 19 um, retired after six hours. And then we had Mirko Bortolotti, Stein Schotthurst and Rolf Eichen sharing with Marco Mepelli, who obviously raced in the WPI car last year. They made it to 12 hours before they retired as well. So my pick for the backup cars, not particularly good. So that was the Rolex 24. Uh, we've got a few things coming up over the next month or so, uh, which has British GT uh, involvement, don't we, Nick? We do indeed. Um, obviously, Graventica continuing their series. We discussed them last time out as well. But the, the main one that's coming up is the 
Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring Prevented by... Prevented? <laughs> the Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring Presented by Advanced Auto Parts. It's the second round of the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship and, of course, of the Michelin Endurance Championship. Um, runs at Sebring International Raceway, again, in Florida. Now, if you think Alton Park is bumpy, you ain't seen nothing yet. The circuit is built on the taxiway of an airport. Um, a large parts of the circuit are made up of concrete slabs, which aren't particularly smooth in their sort of lining up with each other. So it may be a 12-hour race, but make no mistake, this race is as hard as a 24-hour race. Um, it's a car killer. It's why a lot of American teams test there. It's coming up on the uh, Saturday, the 20th of March is race day. Um, and as with the Rolex, you can watch the race on imsaradio.com on the IMSA website. And you can you can listen to IMSA radio uh, to, to hear audio coverage. And if you're in the States, they'll be on Sirius XM on race day. And what else do we have to look forward to? Also, starting this weekend, actually, by the time the episode goes out, the second race of the championship will have taken place, is the FIA Formula E World Championship. Now, there is British GT interest in there because Alexander Sims is racing for, I believe, Mahindra Racing. So uh, it's on the BBC all season. So free to, free to wear in the UK. You'll be able to find it on iPlayer. I haven't yet watched the uh, the race from yesterday. And, of course, the race from today hasn't happened yet. Uh, so I can't tell you what happened, but a bit of British GT interest in electric single-seaters. Hi, I'm Mia Fluitt. I'm a GT4 driver with Balfe Motorsport, and I'm happy to be joining the guys from British GT Fan Show. Please follow them on social media at BGTF Show. Well, let's talk about the Asian Le Mans series, LMS, uh, which, as you say, has now concluded. Um, so we had four races in eight days, two at the Dubai Autodrome and two at Yas Marina in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, this is, a, this is an interesting solution. Uh, basically, eight days, it finished last weekend, the, the championship, it, they, they, they raced the last race of the championship and championship crown on Saturday. So a week ago to the day. What it was officially was the 2020 to 2021 Asian Le Mans series, because Asian Le Mans has a, what we call a school year calendar. And they, they tend to run across the calendar years, but because of COVID and all the restrictions, they've been looking for a way to run their championship without all the, the travel restrictions getting in the way and this, that and the other. They had the smart idea to, because of the way things work in the United Arab Emirates, some Emirates won't let people in from various countries, some will. But to move around within the Emirates, you can quarantine in another Emirate. So what they did was they all went to Dubai um, and had two races over two days on the Dubai Autodrome, the same circuit that was used for the 24 hours we discussed in January. Um, uh, so two races there. 
and then having served their quarantine because they were there for a week to 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 do the two races in Dubai, they could then move to Abu Dhabi for another two races, and then championships were awarded, and critically, entries to the twenty four hours Le Mans were won. So a lot of the teams that that took victories in in Le Mans qualifying classes will be going to the 24 hours of Le Mans in hopefully June. Now, of course, the travel restrictions did bite a few people, uh, given the UK then changed their travel plans. Um, but we've seen a bit of commentary about that over on uh, ye oldie Twitter. So we'll not go too much into that. Instead, let's have a chat about uh, kind of who was there in a British GT representative capacity if you like or at least affiliation um and how they did so asian le mans series the as lms um is a three three and a half class championship and i'll explain the half when we get down to gt cars top class is lmp2 um and there were five of those entered for the full season or for the Slightly more than a week, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, and one of those five has real-world British GT interest. It was the Phoenix Racing Orica 07 Gibson, driven by Matthias Kaiser, Simon Trummer, Kelvin van der Linde, and Nicky Teen. Now, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna waste breath telling you why you should know Nicky Teen. <laughs> Uh, he did the first two rounds. So he raced at Motor City in 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 Dubai. Uh, then handed the team handed his seat over to Kelvin van der Linde for the Abu Dhabi Do. Um, sorry, can't help it. Uh, but yeah, for the two races in Abu Dhabi, um, Nikki was part of the three driver team, which cemented two third places on the. Uh, on the longest layout of, of the Dubai International Circuit. Um, the the driver lineup took a fourth and a third at uh, Yas Island, the Yas Marina, and the car placed fourth overall in the final, final class classification. So next class up, or next class down, depending on how you look at it, is the LMP3 class. Uh, there were 10 of these entered, so it was one of the more uh, properly subscribed classes and of the 10 we've got five that have british gt interest in them uh three of them are all run by the same team united autosports so we've got the number two the number three and the number 23 ligier js p320 nissans uh, so these are the new for 2020 uh lmp3 cars the number two had robert weldon uh, who raced in Century Motorsports BMW M4 last year, took a race win. Ian Loggie, who needs absolutely no introduction, and Andy Mayrick, who is another Brit who is just an absolutely stellar sports car driver. Um, he's had a lot of, of factory driving um, and, and raced some, some very interesting cars, actually. Um, he was one of the drivers, along with I believe it was Catherine Legg, who raced the Delta Wing, the 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 lightweight, super light and tiny sports car uh, in the states. So he's got a fair bit of experience. Um, they finished 
fourth in the first race, third in the second, unfortunately retired in the third race, but finished third in the finished third in the uh in, in the final race of the season. Uh the number three car was Andrew Bentley and Jim McGuire, accompanied by Duncan Tappy. Uh Duncan Tappy, of course, is British GT driver, did six races for Von Ryan Racing in the McLaren in 2013 took 54 points out of six races uh they finished third fifth third and second uh the final car here um obviously number 23 uh didn't have a british gt driver in it but united autosports are a british gt team so they're claiming it um wayne boyd and rory pentinen i apologize rory if i completely butchered your surname joined by Manuel Maldonado. Now, slight British GT interest here, because, of course, Manuel Maldonado cut his teeth in BRDC British Formula 3, which is co-headlined with British GT and has been for years. Uh, obviously, cousin of Formula Formula 1 driver, Pastor Maldonado. Um, and what can we say here, apart from the fact that they won the series? They, they won the class. Uh, with win, win, retire, and win. So every race they finished, they took the top step. Now, if you've been listening here and taking notes, which I don't expect you have been, you'll have noticed that in the final race of the year, the United Autosports number two finished third, the United Autosports number three finished second, and the United Autosports number 23 finished first. So that's a United Autosports podium lockout in the final race of the championship. If you're going to win it, that's the way to do it, isn't it? Now, the final two cars we have in the class, uh, Nielsen Racing's number eight, Ligier, uh, was driven by Rodrigo Sales. Um, again, probably mispronouncing that. And Matt Bell uh, didn't get off too well in Dubai. They retired in the first race, but then took third place in the second. And then at Yas Island, it was second place in the first race and seventh in the final race. And the final car is, this one's properly British interest, actually. I mean, ARC Bratislava, the team doesn't sound and isn't British. But it's a Janetta, and it was the only Janetta that was entered, the G61 LTP3. Love a bit of alphabet soup. Um, so the only Janetta entered didn't have a brilliant campaign for Tom Clouet, uh, Miro Knopka, and Charlie Robertson, British GT alumni and Janetta factory driver. So, retired at the first round and then finished eighth, sixth and ninth in the 10 car class. So wasn't brilliant, but it was nice to see something different. The GT class, there were 19 cars in it. And don't worry, there weren't 19 cars all with British GT links. We're going to get to the end of this pretty quick, pretty quickly. It was divided into two subclasses. You've got the GT class, which everybody was eligible for, and then a GT AM class, which only three cars campaigned. Okay. Um, so to run through in, in order here, the number seven, the Inception Racing with Optimum Motorsport McLaren 720S GT3. They, they went out and basically they raced everything that happened in the Gulf over the winter. Um, they did the Gulf 12 hours. They did Dubai as well. Um, and then they they stayed out there for the Asian Le Mans series. Ben Barnicote, McCarran factory driver, joined Brendan Iribe and Ollie Milroy uh, for a effort which finished fourth in the championship 
second place and in the first and last races were the highlights. So finally, after a, a winter of trial, Inception Racing with Ottoman brought some silverware back from the Gulf. The next British GT car with interest, thanks again to Mr. Hornsby, because the interest here is Nicky Katzberg. Uh, the number 34 Vulcanhorst Motorsport BMW M6 GT3. Katzberg, joined by Chandler Hull and John Miller, two American drivers, uh, took a podium at the first race at Dubai, retired from the second, and then finished outside the top 10 at both races in, in Abu Dhabi. Uh, they finished 10th in the championship. The next car up that we've got here is the number 66 Rinaldi Racing Ferrari 488 GT3. Uh, our British GT interest here is Patrick Gajala, who was joined by Manuel Lauk and Christian Hook. Now, they finished 19th overall in the, cham in the championship at last of the GT3 cars, uh, with 12th, 15th, 15th and a retirement. Doesn't sound too impressive, but there is good news here. Because of the cars that we're listing here, this was the only one that was entered for the AM class, the GT AM class, uh, where they finished first, 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 and then retired. Um, not the best finish to the championship, but they did walk away with the, with the title at the end of the day. So that is a champion from British GT in Patrick Ajala. Aston Martin was represented by a number of cars in the field. The ones that have got British GT interest here are from Garage 59, the number 88, where Alexander West was joined by Valentin Hasclo and Maxime Martin, both British GT drivers. It finished fourth in the championship with fifth, third, sixth and ninth place finishes. And then we come to TF Sport. Uh, now, of course, TF Sport, synonymous with British GT. And you expect every time they go out, they're going to pick up at least one trophy. Unfortunately for Tom Ferrier's outfit, they were the only team with British GT links not to take home a single trophy from the Gulf. Um, the 95 car, Charlie Eastwood, Ollie Hancock and John Hart, Sean. It's the only car in the entire Asian Le Mans series. Uh, I'm just checking. Yes, the only car in the entire Asian Le Mans series with a full British GT driver lineup. Charlie Eastwood, as we know, raced with Beach Dean last year. Ollie Hancock has raced all over the championship. And then John Hartshorn, you have to go back a bit, but he did two races, both of them at Alton Park, in the Oman Racing Team Aston Martin V12 Vantage, uh, 2014. Now, the 95 car finished 12th in the championship. Only one result of note, they finished 6th in the final race of, uh, of, the, uh, of the week. And then the 97, the Oman Racing Team with TF Sport Aston Martin, I correct myself, the second car with an all-British GT driver lineup. Uh, Johnny Adam, Ahmed Alhati, and uh, Tom Canning, obviously of GT4 fame. They finished eighth overall with two seventh places, fourth place at the final race, and the first race at Abu Dhabi was unfortunately a retirement. So that is the rundown of everything that happened in the Asian Le Mans series. And very succinctly done too. Really? Are you just humouring me there? No, I'm not. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> Hi, I'm Nathan Freak, team owner of Century Motorsport, and you're listening to the British GT Fan Show. Find them across all social media at 
BGTF show. In more news that's coming, the Intelligent Money British GT Championship is to remain under the management of the SRO Motorsports Group for a further five championship seasons after the organisers have agreed an extension to the partnership with Motorsport UK. This extension means that SRO will organise and promote the series through to the end of the 2025 championship season, which means that SRO will have then run the series for 22 years, in which time the series has developed into one of the finest multi-class GT racing championships in the world. Stefan Rattel, SRO Motorsports Group founder and CEO, says that no series has been part of SRO Motorsport Group's portfolio longer than the Intelligent Money British GT Championship, and I think that longevity speaks for itself. However, it's also a very important element within global GT racing and wider motorsport. Many teams, drivers and staff gain experience in British GT before embarking on European and international programmes. These are often SRO-run events that use the same common regulations, but GT3 and GT4 is now so widespread that the sky really is the limit. Motorsport in general benefits from this universal platform, including the UK, which remains one of the best represented industries. On a personal level, we're very proud to have overseen the same championship for more than 20 years. I'd like to thank Motorsport UK for again placing their trust in SRO Motorsports Group, but must also highlight the tireless work of Lauren Granville and Benjamin Ranasavici, who between them have managed British GT so successfully for the majority of the last two decades. Now, I'm going to I'm, I'm gonna say here, uh, there's a lot of people out there that for, for some reason or another aren't the biggest fans of the SRO, uh, Stefan Mattel organisation. And to be honest, I can't understand why. Um, the first thing I'm going to say is love him or hate him, agree with him or disagree with him. I don't think anybody can deny that Stefan Rattel has always done what he thinks is best for GT racing. And he's one of these people that's not afraid to try, as was indicated by the FAA GT1 World Championship that he ran, which obviously came at the wrong time, etc. Um, but he, he's, he's not afraid to try, and he's always been pushing and developing GT racing. And it's also shown by the success of GT3 and GT4. These are now worldwide formula used by championships all over the globe that were Stefan Mattel ideas, and they're Stefan Mattel intellectual property. Now, as I, I'm not one of these ones that ascribes to the whole uh, don't like the SRO. I, I I really do like the way that they work and the work that they're doing. But I don't think anybody can deny that handing the keys to the championship to such a proven success for another five years, it's it's good for them. It's good for the teams and the competitors. It's good for the fans. Don't forget, SRO have have been at the forefront of free online streaming and all the access that we get. And I think this is very, very good news. 2020 series debutant Stuart Proctor has announced his first full season in the Intelligent Money British GT Championship, with Balfe Motorsport confirmed to run the Proctor-owned McLaren 720S GT3 he campaigned at selected rounds last year with Joe Osborne. The AM, who made great strides in the GT3 class following a baptism of fire, or at least baptism of lots of rain at Donington Park's two races meetings last year, will be joined in a Silver Am title assault by his son, former Optimum Motorsport McLaren driver, Lewis Proctor. 
Now, the father-son pairing makes the confirmed entries into the new for 2021 Silver Am class and all-family affair. The McLaren will be racing against the tried-and-tested pairing of Richard and his son Sam Neary. Sam Neary was a standout silver during 2020, taking on established factory pro drivers in the older spec Mercedes-AMG GT3, which team member racing have campaigned for several years in the British GT Championship previously. Team owner Sean Balfe also confirmed that additional GT3 and GT4 entries are in the works for Balfe Motorsport. With Balfe's own long-running tie-up with the McLaren factory driver Rob Bell yet to be confirmed, and 2020 Balfe Motorsport GT4 driver Mia Fluitt telling the show in her guest special interview that she's targeting a GT3 drive this year, we can expect at least one more GT3 machine from the outfit. Meanwhile, news has yet to emerge about longtime Balfe Motorsport GT4 driver Mike Robinson's plans for his PMW World Expo McLaren GT4. Now, ProDrive, the Banbury-based engineering company who make all the Aston Martin V8 Vantage AMR race cars, shared an image on social media last week. The image showed a chassis rail with the number 100 stamped on it. Whilst you couldn't see it from the photos, it was the start of the 100th Aston Martin V8 Vantage AMR GT4. It's not currently known if the car is being built to a sold order or being built for stock. But the price would suggest the former. But either way, it's an epic achievement. The Aston Martin V8 Vantage AMR GT4, can they shorten the name please, made its competitive debut at the Nürburgring 24 Hours in June of 2019 which means that in just 21 months, 100 of these race cars have been built. Now, to me, that number seemed very high. So I went looking for a bit more information, and I reached out to Marshall Pruitt of the Marshall Pruitt Podcast. He's an expert in all things IndyCar. The NTT IndyCar series runs to spec regulations, so all cars have the same tub or carbon fibre chassis, uh, which is produced by Dallara in Italy. The most recent confirmed new chassis for the DW12 the chassis named in honour of the late Dan Weldon, was introduced nine years ago in 2012, funny enough. It was bought to, the, the latest chassis has been bought to replace Takuma Sato's Indy 500 winning car, which is now a museum piece. It has the chassis number IR12066. That means 66 DW12s have been built. Now, with the biggest race in the Indy car calendar being the Indianapolis 500, where 33 cars start and at least one car a year fails to make the field, that means for almost a decade, 34 chassis have been needed. Several have gone to museums, and of course, some of the tubs have been written off and damaged in in crashes. What tends to happen with those, if they can't be repaired, by the way, is that they get turned into simulators for the teams. Now, this isn't a direct comparison, Uh, but building 44 more chassis for a 21-month-old model Even a model which is raced in tens of championships around the globe is incredibly impressive when compared to a 10-year-old car in a a single-make championship. Now, Century Motorsport have confirmed a second BMW M4 GT4 for 2021, which will be peddled by graduating Ginetta G40 Cup champion Chris Salkold. Chris took on the one-make Ginetta championship with Century, claiming the title, and also follows fellow teammate Gus Barton into GT4 with the team. The outfit have also confirmed that both of their M4 GT4s have been upgraded with the 2021 Evo package from BMW Motorsport, which should help make them a lot more competitive this season. Definitely ones to watch out for. Yeah, you can can never bet against Sentry, can you? 
now. Now, we've been receiving confirmed entries and rumours of entries and all those sort of things for about four months now since the end of the season. So we thought it would be a good idea to run through. I've I've been through all the records and compiled uh, an entry list for 2021. And then I've also gone through and put in cars that we expect to turn up. Now, some of these are are cars that that, that they're just always there. Other ones are ones that we've had sort of semi-confirmed, etc. So this is what we think so far the British GT 2021 entry list might look like. And the first car on the list going in number order, starting with GT3s, is the number six. It's Ram Racing, Ian Loggie and Yelma Berman. They confirmed in, as we confirmed in the news for this episode, the Mercedes-AMG GT3 Evo uh, for, say, Ram Racing for the defending Pro-Am champions. We also know that the number seven Beach Dean AMR is going to be making an appearance. Uh, with Andrew Howard and Johnny Adam reuniting for a shot at the Pro-Am Championship in, of course, an Aston Martin V8 Vantage AMR GT3. And we know the first of the protagonists in the Silver Am Championship. This is Team Abba Racing, the number eight car, for father and son Richard and Sam Neary. So contesting Silver Am in the Mercedes-AMG GT3 still retaining the 2015 non-Evo version of the car. Next up, we have the WPI Motorsport number 18's confirmed return, uh, with Michael Igo having settled on Phil Keane as a partner to challenge the Pro-Am Championship in the Lamborghini Huracan GT3 Evo. I'm going to contest what you've just said there, and I think he grabbed Phil Keane with both hands rather than settled. I know what you mean. He, he, he tried a few, <laughs> but you don't settle for Phil King. You jump with Jordan no. and you get him. I'm being diplomatic. Um, <laughs> indeed. Uh, the number 36 car is the next up. This is Balfe Motorsport, the McLaren 720S GT3. Would you expect anything but McLaren from Balfe? It is another Silver Am entry, and it's another father-son duo, Stuart and Lewis Proctor in the GT3 class. And as we've confirmed earlier today, we know that the number 66 Team Parker Racing car is returning. However, it's no longer its predecessor and is now the Porsche 991.2 GT3R with Nick Jones and Scott Malvin challenging for the Pro-Am Championship. And we have two cars that have been confirmed by Barwell Motorsport, the first of which is the number 72. This is Adam Ballon joined by newly minted factory driver Sandy Mitchell, obviously a Lamborghini Huracan GT3 Evo in the Pro-Am class. The second of the two Barwell Motorsport cars to be confirmed was the number 63. This is Leo Machitsky and Dennis Lind. Again, Lamborghini Huracan GT3 Evo, Pro-Am entry. So now we move on to the ones who are not confirmed, but we either have strong rumours or knowledge of something that's either been said in the past or something in the offing so first of these is a ram racing entry who we assume will be a mercedes amg gt3 evo i'm 
challenging for TT3. The team are have said that they are hinting at a second deal. And then we have the number 22 Balfe Motorsport McLaren 720S GT3. Um, now, we have no drivers assigned to this one. We have no class assigned to this one, apart from obviously running in the GT3 category. But Sean Balfe has said that they are working on a number of deals uh, and could be running as many as three cars. Uh, and Sean himself will always, as, as, as long as I can remember, turn out for at least one round of the championship in the red car with the number 22 on the side of it and Rob Bell sharing the driving. So I think it's safe to say we're going to get at least one more GT3 Balf. Uh, we've also got down here two TF Sport entries on the GT3, of course, with the Aston Martin V8 Vantage AMR GT3. And the notes here, uh, Nick has very kindly put that if British GT races and there isn't TF Sport, did it really happen? The next one, um, I could probably put a number on this one as well, but I haven't, is JRM, uh, JRM Racing. Now, we don't know what they're going to be coming back with. They might come back with the Bentley or they might pick something else, but we have Kelvin Fletcher and Martin Plowman. Now, the team announced when it withdrew from the 2020 championship uh, that the car would race in 2021 instead. So that's a, a previously announced deal we're assuming still stands, but we could lose that car. Yeah, we certainly haven't heard anything, and we know that uh, they're also launching Paddock Motorsport. Um, so... Fingers crossed we'll hear something from that soon. Uh, the last car on the list for GT3, however, is a little bit more of a, a sure thing. As earlier this week, we had uh, news on BritishGT.com from Stella Motorsport uh, confirming that they were looking to run again this season. And not one car, not two cars, but possibly three cars, um, if, which at least one of these would be a GT3. Of course, returning in the Audi R8 LMS GT3. Now, the previous pairing of Richard Williams and Senna Fielding is no longer eligible uh, due to the abolition of the silver-silver class. So driver-wise, it's up in the air. And now we move on to the GT4 cars, and we start off with the ones that have been confirmed. Now, we don't have numbers for the first car, but we do have a team name. We have some drivers, and we know what they're going to be racing. This is Assetto Motorsport. Mark Sandham and Charlie Robertson aboard a Ginetta G55 GT4, the car returning to the class after basically being the class for a number of years. There'll be Pro-Am uh, entries, by the way. And the second entry on the list here is also Assetto Motorsport. Again, G55 GT4. Now, we've only got one driver on this entry at the moment. And that is Will Burns. We also have confirmed that we've got two Century Motorsport entries for the upcoming season, both in the BMW M4 GT4 with the Evo packs, as confirmed in the news earlier. The first of these will be, we assume, the number 42, which will be Gus Barton behind the wheel, along with an as-yet unnamed driver. And we've got the same situation with, again, what we assume will be but not confirmed 43. Uh, but we know that Chris Salkold will be behind this one again with an unnamed driver. And then going back to the news from earlier, we've got the Sicily Motorsport Mercedes AMG GT4. It's a pro-am entry. 
for Dave Whitmore and Jake Giddings. Speedworks Motorsport also said that they would be back uh, in the Toyota GR Supra GT4. Uh, we don't have any driver names as yet, uh, but we also know that they have said that they would like to be back potentially with a second car as well. So the first of our unconfirmed guesstimates is a second Toyota for Speedworks. And then number three and number four on the um, unconfirmed guesstimates list is Stella Motorsport. As Sarah said, they told BritishGT.com that they were coming back this year and they were hoping to run up to three cars. So we've got two Audi RA LMS GT4s. Uh, again, we don't know the driver lineups for these cars, but they did say in that in that uh, in that article that they were hoping to run two cars in the GT4 class as well. Next up, we are anticipating that the number 20 we're going to take a guess Balfe Motorsport may make an appearance uh, of course that would be a McLaren 570S GT4 um, and again we're Nick's got a bit of a guesstimate that we might have Mike Robinson behind the wheel of that one as Mike's been a staple of the series since 2015 um, it's possible he could appear in the 22 that we've previously mentioned in GT3 but for now we've got him in the GT4 I've also included, again, another staple of the championship. They've been in the championship continuously now for years. Uh, losing Academy Motorsport would be both a surprise and a bit of a blow to the championship. Now, Academy have been known to chop and change cars, but we don't expect them, if they are coming back, to come back with anything other than the Ford Mustang GT4 they raced last year. No drivers. No drivers confirmed. But we know that Matt Cowley has been quite vocal on Twitter about the fact that he's fully intending to be one of those drivers, if at all possible. Indeed. Uh, next up on our list of possibles, we've got two entries from Tolman Motorsport. Uh, we've got four and five in terms of car numbers down here. And we do have drivers uh, to put in these. And these are the first uh, guesstimates of Silver Cup entries. And they're both related to the fact that the McLaren driver development program had deferred um, their entries until this year. We haven't heard anything to the contrary so far. So we are expecting uh, Michael Benya here, Alan Valente, Katie Milner and Harry Hayek to be appearing in those cars. And again, the 95 and the 97, going back to what we said about the 2TS sport cars in GT3. If... If British GT races and TS Sport aren't there, did it did, did it not happen? Um, so we are expecting two TF Sport Aston Martin V8 Vantage AMR GT4s. Uh, we are expecting them to swing again past your local highlighter factory and borrow some ink to paint the cars with. <laughs> they're, not, they're, they're always nice and bright. Uh, we haven't got any idea what drivers are going to be in the cars. So. What that does mean for us, though, is that we have... Uh, 14 confirmed entries so far this year. And with a little bit of sleuthing, guessing, and generally just sticking finger in air, licking finger and sticking it in the air, uh, I reckon we've got 27 cars there of a possible 35. I think we're missing one. In fact, I reckon we've got 28 cars there because I put the second Stella Motorsport car in without putting the little number on the end of it. 
then I think we've still got another one. Which one do you think we're missing? Uh, well, we know that Mia has said that she was planning to return. And I've not seen a number 21 anywhere. Yeah, I sat down and I looked at the cars that were available. Um, and I know that Mia is looking to step up to GT3. We don't know whether a deal has been confirmed for that. What I I decided is that um, either Mia will step up to the slot that I've assigned to the 22 car, or she might stay in GT4, at which point we've got one Balfour Motorsport car already confirmed in GT4. Uh, what I didn't want to do was count on too many cars from Balfour and then find out that they've done deals with other people or they've decided they're just going to run the run car or whatever. Um, so I, I, I sort of, I hedged a bit there. That's fair enough. I'm Angus Fender. I'm a McLaren GT3 driver for Two Seas Motorsport, and you're listening to the British GT Fans Show. Moving away from the real world racing of British GT, we have also had lots of excitement this month as the long-awaited British GT pack for Assetto Corsa Competizione came out on PC. Now, console release is yet to follow. And this has led to a bit of an impossible feat at BGTF headquarters as stalwart console gamer Nick has actually been seen playing on a PC. Yes, the the news broke. The news broke and poor Sarah had her ear bashed solid for about an hour and a half about how it's completely unfair and disgusting that they make console gamers wait when PC gamers get it first. And because consoles are superior and because consoles are a set specification, it's easier to write these games for consoles and it's disgusting and I'm not happy with it. And all of my logical points of why that isn't necessarily the case were thrown out of the window. Yes, because consoles are better. But that being said, a week later... Uh, I owned a PC copy of Assetto Corsa and all the download content <laughs> because I got bored of waiting. <laughs> so perhaps that was their, their their tactic. Well, before we get into the latest addition to the game, uh, it's a while ago since we last talked about the game. In fact, not long after it was out. So you've had a reasonable time to get used to and play the main game now um, on your Xbox and a bit of time on the PC. So what is your opinion on the main game now that you've had a reasonable amount of time to kind of get bedded in and, and you know, get a few hundred hours in there between work and real-life stuff? Yeah. Um, given that in a week and a half I've already clocked up over a hundred hours on PC, I reckon on Xbox, I'm, I'm probably well over five hundred by now. Um, I've got, I've, 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 I mean, first of all, as I said before, I've played Project Cars, I've played Forza, I used to play Gran Turismo, um, and I've played Need for Speed, and I've played the F1 games. Assetto Corsa Competizione. Is as is for a commercial for a commercial product for a for a game for that's accessible to your average player. 
a set of course of competency on you is as close as you can get to a race meeting without actually being at a race meeting. And it is, it is customizable. So, I mean, I try and do everything properly. So I do two one-hour practice sessions, two 10-minute qualifying sessions, and then a full-length race, um, which you can do. Or you can just do 10-minute races if you want to. It's, it's a great compromise. The, there's a couple of things about it which do slightly annoy me. Um, mainly related to the British GT packs. We'll go into that in a bit. But the grumbles that I had when Gaz and I first reviewed the product back when it first came out, they've all been cleared up pretty much. It's it's a lot more stable. My steering wheel now works, which is always a bonus. So I'm I'm very happy with Assetto Corsa Competizione and the, the GT World Challenge component of it. Okay, so you've fessed up yourself. You've had a bit of chance to play it on both console and PC now. Um, are there any noticeable differences between the two for you? Um, and heaven forbid, are there any pros to doing it on the PC versus console or vice versa? Um, okay, the, the one pro that I found um, is... I mean, I've been trying to get to grips with a specific model at a specific track. We'll go into that more with British GT back. But I've been really struggling. So on PC, what I can do is I can turn on telemetry laps in practice. And that records telemetry to a file, which I can then access using the same MoTeX software that race engineers use at the track to analyze what's happening with the car. Now, as I've said many, many times before, those who can do, those who can't talk about it. Uh, Now, I'm not claiming to be a race engineer, but even I can look at that data and I can see that something's not right and I can make the changes to see with data what those changes make and and, and I've managed to figure out some of these problems. Now, that's not not really an option for me on on, on, on Xbox. It's a lot harder to... To, to, to do that on Xbox and it is on, on, on PC. That is a bonus to me. I can't really compare the main game like for like with PC versus Xbox. And the reason for that is I got the PC version of it and straight away jumped into British GT pack. Uh, the whole reason I got it on PC. So I can't compare the... I can't compare the uh, the British G sorry the the British GT pack on PC to the GT World Challenge game on on Xbox. That wouldn't be fair. The other thing that I can do on PC, uh, which I can't do on the Xbox, is I can race against more than I can race against more than nineteen other competitors. Now that is limited by the capability of the device on which you are playing. If I go any higher than 26 other competitors, then as the cars exit the pit, I get absolutely horrible loss of of, of screen refresh rate of, um, what's the word I'm after? Frame, frame rate. rate. Yes. I get absolutely horrible loss of frame rate, and then I end up in the wall because I've got to guess roughly where I am on the track, and I'm not good at that. Um, so I can only race with 26 other competitors. But at Alton Park and, and that sort of thing, 26 competitors is enough. 
there ain't a whole lot of real estate at Alton Park. And if you if you, if you put more cars on the track, then that's more cars you've got to try and fight your way past on a very narrow circuit. We'll get to that in a in a minute. Um, so this latest update, the British GT Pack, um, features a whole bunch of new liveries and seventy drivers from the twenty nineteen campaign. Um, it actually follows three previous DLCs that have been out over the last year. Um, you've mentioned Will Challenge Europe already. Uh, there was also the Intercontinental GT Challenge, powered by Pirelli, and the GT4 European Series. Um, as part of those DLCs, we did get access to part of the British GT experience, as the GT World Challenge DLC gave us Silverstone, Brands Hatch, and Spa-Francorchamps circuits. Um, I know you had those and you've been playing those. So how did they ex- set your expectation for the upcoming British GT pack? Now, I know Silverstone and I know Brands Hat very well. I've actually driven Silverstone in, in road-going cars, um, but I know Brands Hat very well. And I know from repeated playing of Silverstone and Brands Hatch on the console that they are actually, that they're replicated pretty damn well. Um, that They are pretty true to life. Um, so I was expecting a high standard of, of environmental duplication, shall we say, uh, which I wasn't disappointed in. Um, the other thing that has come with the, the various DLC packs that have come along, uh, the Intercontinental pack gave us the Jensen Team Rocket RJN McLaren um, in GT World Challenge livery. So we've had that on xbox pretty much from launch um and then the 2020 expansion also gave us the um the number 66 the team parker bentley and it gave us uh, a, a couple of two c's mclarens as well so we've, we've got them in gt world challenge liveries as well despite the fact they are they're not in the british gt pack they are in the 2020 Intercontinental Challenge pack as well. Now, of course, the British GT pack um, then gave us the remaining circuits of Alton Park, Donington Park and Snetterton, uh, which means they're included in the game for the first time. And the DLC is also the first one to unite the GT3 and GT4 cars um, to enable multi-class racing either in single or championship seasons. So how have you found that change to the dynamic? I mean, I've done, I've done a lot of hours on Alton Park, a lot of hours on Alton Park. And I will say I'm I'm a little bit disappointed with the accuracy of it. There's at least six inches of that track, which hasn't got a bump on it. Um, It's, it's not the smoothest of racing surfaces in the UK. And that, that, that is very well reflected in, in, in the game. There's a, a couple of things about about the Autumn Park which aren't quite true to life. Uh, I mean, a little thing about Autumn Park: the SRO motorhome is actually set up in the in in the assembly area. Sorry, in the in scrutineering. Uh, if you see that when you're driving down the pit straight, it doesn't affect the gameplay at all. And I understand why they've done it. They've put that bit of prominent where you can see it, but knowing Alton Park as I do is just, oh, that's not in the right place. Um, and they've also, they, they, they've got a bit free with the tyre bundles in places, which we don't tend to do for real world racing. 
uh, tire bundles are good for making sure you don't cut the circuit, but if someone does, they can do a heck of a lot of damage, uh, which is why they, they they don't tend to be put out on on established racing tracks. Those are those are the only things that I've found so far at Alton Park. Um, at, Do- at Donington Park, um, I've I've done a few test sessions on Donington Park, um, and that's been very well very well duplicated to 2020 specification. So the circuit is 2020. It's got some changes, minor changes to run offers uh, that were put in between 19 and 20. And as you come down the hill, you can see some, again, something you only know when you go to the circuit, you can see some of the new toilet blocks that have been put in. Uh, they're the new ones rather than the old ones. So how have you found the multi-class racing aspect of the game now that that's been brought in fully? Well, when I race in a GT4 car, I hate the GT3 drivers. And when I race in a GT3 car, I hate the GT4 drivers, which which must mean they've got it right. Um, but to put a bit of flesh on those bones, uh, at the moment I'm racing in a GT3 car. Um, now, at Alton Park, for example, Sector 1, I'm half a second quicker than, than my nearest nearest rival. Sector three, I am either quarter to half a second quicker or in the wall at Druids. Um, so, again, very realistic there. Sector two, which runs from Shell Oils up to the top of Clee Hill. So through the two chicanes at Hislop and Nickerbrook. Um, through there, for some reason, I'm losing two seconds a lap. Um, I've, I'm just nowhere compared to the competition. and I can't figure out why. Being multi-class, this is it's bringing me back into the fight because for 15, 20 minutes at the start of the race, uh, so seven to ten laps at the start of the race, where I'm, I'm losing a second a lap um, overall. And if I qualify well, I can I can hold them off. I can take a few places on the start, which 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 buys me a which buys me a, a, a bit of time. And then when the leaders come up to the traffic, that's slowing them down and allowing me to gain up because for some reason I appear to be more decisive through the traffic than the virtual, than my virtual competitors. Uh, it is being decisive through traffic, GT4 drivers. I'm not trying to punt you off the racetrack. I'm not bullying you. I just need to make progress. And sorry, that bit of tarmac is mine. Okay. Um, but it does add another dimension. And then you've also got, it adds adds to the strategic dimension as well, because you need to factor in where the other class's traffic is on the racetrack when you decide when to take your pit stop. Because if you pit right when the pit window opens, for example, you're going to fall behind all those GT4 cars that you just had to fight your way through. And if your rival stays out until the end of the pit window he's going to stay in front of them and the gap's going to open up again. So it does add a decent bit of strategy. So what would you say the highlights and lowlights of the game are as an overall with the DLC content that we've got so far? And is there anything you think is missing or should be added in the future? Okay, the the highlights, it's, I mean, it is a simulation. It's, It's not necessarily a game, it is a simulation. Um, and it is very real world uh, in terms of 
in terms of the the setup of the cars, the strategy that's involved. The cars are very detailed in in their mechanical modeling as well as in their visual modeling. But that being said, it is beautiful. It is even on the old PC that I've got that can't run at full graphics. It, it is it's well presented. It is a, it is a beautiful game. The low light for me, um, I'm, I'm going to pick a couple of things here. Um, the first one for me is that there's there's a few things that they've not got right for British GT. Uh, and this is all to do with actually the multi-class racing. Okay. Um, and it's, it's part of the fact that they've adapted a game which doesn't have these features to a series which does. Now, the big gripe for me is the fact that when you go for a real-world qualifying situation, so two 10-minute sessions for qualifying, all the cars are out on track at the same time. Okay. Now, in British GT, as we know, we have a qualifying session for GT3 and then a qualifying session for GT4. If you don't nail your first flying lap in a GT3 car, you're not going to do as well as you uh, as you could do because you're going to be falling over GT4 cars that are, that, that are getting in your way and they need to get their lap in. So um, that that is a little bit of a frustration for me. And again, there's no staggered pit windows like we have in British GT. So the pit window opens. It's a 10-minute pit window in the middle of the race. Um, but the pit lane can become quite crowded because of the number of GT4 cars that are also using it when you're in a GT3. The final gripe that I do have now, I've established that the machine that I'm playing it on is not the most advanced of computers. Uh, now, because of that, I cannot run a full 35 car entry. Um, I just don't have the computing power to run it. Now, the way that the game has implemented a reduction in field is it, it tends to take them pretty much just out of GT4. So with me running a 26 car, 26 competitors uh, and myself running in a GT3 car, so I'm running the GT3, the Porsche, the GCAT racing car. Um, what you have then is you have 16 other GT3 cars. So you've got the full GT3 field. Um, and that leaves you 10 available slots for GT4 cars. So I'm racing against two TF Sport Aston Martins, two Optimum Motorsport Aston Martins, two Academy Aston Martins. I've got one Stellar Motorsport Audi as a competitor, one generation AMR Super Racing Aston Martin as a competitor, and then two BMWs. Now, yes, the Aston Martin was the most populous car in GT4 in 2019, which is the year that they've modelled. Um, but the second most populous car in the field was the McLaren, and I'm not racing against a single McLaren because my computer can't handle enough cars. Uh, so if they bring out a patch for this, I think they need to tweak the way that they drop cars out. Why am I racing against a car that only did a couple of rounds in 2019? James Holder's black Aston Martin when I could instead be racing against either a Tolman or a HHC McLaren, which did the full season. So to anyone who's still 
umming and ahhing about getting either the game or the British GT pack, would you recommend it? And how do you think it would hold up for someone who, like myself, isn't necessarily a racing sim enthusiast, but enjoys playing the odd racing game? The difficulty level is pretty much fully customizable. Okay. So you can set it up the way that you want it. You can have a racing line on if you want. You can have automatic gearbox, uh, all the all the the controls that you need to use to to control the car, pit lane speed limiter and, and that sort of thing can be automated. Okay. So it is it is customizable to your your ability level. And it is customizable to your level of commitment. Okay. Um, in terms of would I recommend the game? I'm just going to say this. I've bought it twice. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's uh, yes, I would. I would definitely recommend the recommend the game. Anybody that's a fan of of GT racing in general. I mean, it is the only game out there where you can race all the GT, all the, all the British GT circuits and all of the British, well, most of the British GT cars. Uh, there are, there are a couple that are missing um, from the year. Uh, there's no Ford Mustangs when there in theory should be three. And there is no Jaguar when there should be one. Uh, the other thing which did surprise me, by the way, and I, I found this out when I, I had a quick play in the number 18, the WPI Motorsport Lamborghini. If you steal Michael Igo's car, then he'll jump into the GTC car he started the season with. So that car has also been modelled because the Porsche G GTC car is already in the game. So they, they, they've put that livery on that car. Um, but yeah, it's... It's the best, um, the best console. Well, I don't know about console yet, but it's the best PC-based version of a British of a, of a British GT race that, that that there is out there. Um, the only thing that's missing is crossplay, um, which is the ability to play. Um, I mean, in Forza Motorsport, if I'm playing on my console, I can also play against people that are playing on PC. So that wraps up this episode of the British GT Fan Show. Don't forget to check out our most recent interview with Nathan Freak, which is also available through all good podcast providers and our social media. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure you keep up to date with the British GT Fan Show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the British GT Fan Show. Remember, the show's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, redistributed or used in any other form without permission. For more information about this, please visit our website www.bgtfshow.co.uk or contact us via our social media at bgtfshow. British GT Fan Show is a Storm Vixen Creative and RPS-driven media production. To find out more, visit our website at www.bgtfshow.co.uk.